We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome back. Hope you're having a good one. Enjoying the all-star break. This is Richie, and I'm glad you're tuning in for another BuzzBeat episode. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. On today's episode, I am bringing on Corey Teleba over at No Ceilings, where they do an excellent job with their draft prospect content. Corey, thanks so much for joining the pod. How's it going? It is going very well. I appreciate you having me on the show. And, uh, you know, as always, I am very excited to, to chop it up um, and, and talk some NBA draft. It's what we do at No Ceilings. Exactly. And I think with the Hornets season going the way that it's gone this year, it just feels like the draft is a little bit more relevant this year because they're so used to picking ninth, 10th, 11th with us being in you know the top four. It just kind of feels a little bit more relevant. So I'm glad you can join. And I'll tell you this up front. Of the four co-hosts, I am the least knowledgeable about college basketball and college prospects. My whole <laughs> focus is on the uh, the NBA side and the Hornets, so I will add very little to this conversation. Just to let you know, hey, that is uh, that's totally cool because you know that's that's what we do at No Ceilings. We're not just you know uh, watching games with ranking college prospects by how their season's going. We're we're doing it with the NBA in mind. So. Uh, it we'll get a nice blend of of that conversation going today. Yeah, before we get into the prospects, I want to get to know a little bit more about you and how you got into like draft scouting. Is that something that you've always been interested in, or did that pop up more recently for you? So I uh, have been coaching uh, varsity basketball for like ten years now, um, and scouting was always something that I thought I was good at. Uh, doing, you know, like, I, I mean, when I started, um, you know, we had video stuff, but I, that has come a long way over the last 10 years. And, and initially, you know, it was all like in-person stuff. So if I wanted to get a scout on another team, I really had to go to the school with a notebook or my phone in hand and, and actually like number 24 guard, you know, needs to be pushed left can't you know can't dribble that way uh settles for for tough shots uh prefers to you know get to the you know like so 
I always thought that was something that I was really good at, at seeing like a, like a prospect, like a high school kid one time and just being able to like completely know his game. Um, so then when I started creating content around 2019, uh, I, I always really just loved the draft. It was always just a fun day in in for the NBA. Like um, that, it, me and my buddy, we would we had a tradition. We would get like a crave case from White Castle, and we would just like destroy it throughout the entirety of the draft night. It was just really fun. So I I, I kind of felt like um, the draft space was really flooded, and or or the NBA content space was really flooded. As, for, as far as like covering um, the entirety of it rather than like focusing and honing in on one specific team. And I just really liked the the whole process of the draft. So it, I, I kind of started experimenting with video at that point and, and doing like these little breakdowns on, on YouTube. Um, but I didn't, it, I didn't really fully know what I was doing. Um, and Around 20 uh, January, February 2020 is when I really started to decide I was going to like figure out how to edit video for real and take things seriously. Um, and who would have thought, you know, the world shuts down right at that point. And that was kind of the only thing to really focus in on. So I just started really hammering home the like YouTube scouting videos, um, doing a ton of like podcast interviews with team specific podcast because you know that was there was no actual gameplay to focus on so it was so such a heavy focus on the draft i uh, started doing some video for for espn at that time working for mike schmitz uh as video editor for for his projects and um you know eventually like i realized like this is the lane and i feel like creatively i could do something that hasn't been done and you know i that involved forming no ceilings and, and teaming up with all the guys who I loved reading and, and listening to. And I feel like now we've, we've really built something that is unique to uh, a space that could get repetitive. Um, so that's kind of the, the short of <laughs> how I got into it. Yes. Some people love watching college basketball and the teams, but this might seem like a silly question, but how, how different is it for like, you know, a, a, a guy that's trying to evaluate like Duke or UNC and, and those players on the roster versus like transitioning over to projecting them to the NBA level. Like, do you feel like those are two separate lanes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you might be watching a kid from Duke and they're playing Syracuse who just sits in a two, three zone for the entirety of the game. Right. And you might have a kid who's just sitting at the free throw line right like in against the 2 3 zone and is just di- just dissecting the zone and he could look like the best college player ever because he's hitting every passing option or he's hitting little turnarounds and attacking but like how many nba teams are actually playing a 2 3 f- for the entirety of the pro- the you know the game and uh you know there's the teams play zone in the nba but it's more of a, Hey, let's get this as a different look really quick. And then the rules are different in the NBA where you can't just camp somebody out in the paint. Like you can in college. Um, the spacing aspects are all different. I mean, it's just, these are all things that it's why it's so fun for me. Cause I too don't really love watching college basketball as a fan of college basketball, uh, which maybe helps me a little bit in that I could take some kind of bias out of it, but 
I, I think when I look at certain players and pro- I might be higher on some guys because I'm just like, all right, he doesn't get to show everything in college. Like, you know, we'll talk about this uh, Jarris Walker at some point in Houston. And like, he has very modest numbers in college, but he's also like playing a role as a freshman on one of the top two teams in the country. And he's not going to have the freedom that he may one day have in the NBA. So I have to approach his evaluation with the understanding of the context of his college situation. So it, it, there are a number of things that go beyond just watching the game and seeing if the player was, you know, good or bad in it. Now with you being a basketball coach, I'm assuming I know this answer, but did you ever consider like football scouting at all? Or was it always basketball for you? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I did not ever consider football <laughs> uh, scouting. One of my best friends is like a brilliant football guy. And even still, when we get together, you know, I'm, I, I live in New York. When we watch giant games, I'm like, I, I I can follow the football game. I can watch it. I know what's going on. But like, why did this guy get open? <laughs> you know, t- and he'll break down the X's and O's for me. So like my mind, I could watch a basketball game and dissect every X's and O's thing that happened in a way that I can't with football. So, uh, right. yeah, uh, but I, I, I do love football. I just don't have that kind of mindset. I want to ask you a philosophical question about like evaluation. And I think people these days are always BPA, BPA, BPA. Like I think that for the, for most circumstances, I think that is the case, but I can't get past the people or the fact that some people keep saying, you know, you just got to dismiss fit, dismiss, dismiss play style. At some point, I feel like if teams keep drafting BPA, BPA under every circumstance, then maybe your team might feel a little unbalanced what are your overall thoughts on BPA versus like fit and play style and how teams should go about that when it comes to evaluating players? Yeah, I I, I don't think there is like a philosophy that you should 100% stick to. Because like you said, like if you keep going BPA, you could acquire a lot of talent, but eventually that talent might overlap. And if you need guys to get reps to work on their strengths and weaknesses, but somebody else needs those same reps you're not giving them necessarily the proper developmental path that they might need to succeed. So, you know, for the Rockets, do you really need to, like, if the best player available is a guard who is like a bucket getter and you're drafting that person for the Rockets, are they necessarily going to get the right opportunity playing with uh, Kevin Porter and Jalen Green? Probably not, right? Like, it it might be easy to envision them in that role on that team because you've seen it already with these guys, but you know, and you maybe like you could be like, well, it'll help them play off ball and that'll make them a better, whatever. Eventually BPA, BPA, BPA could get in the way of, of a prospect's own development. And ultimately when you're looking at them three or four years, you look back, you go, I, maybe they weren't the best player available, right? Because you didn't give them what they need to succeed. And then that, then you might have a second draft guy, what, which is you know another team just taking a shot on a prospect who didn't work out in their first stop. Um, now, if you just go for fit and you ignore BPA entirely, you could also get into trouble, right? Because you might be passing on a really talented player, like that. The Raptors went and drafted Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs was the better fit for their team, right? Scotty Barnes overlaps with a guy like OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam some. Um, 
obviously he had some other skills that differentiate like his playmaking and whatnot. And, and Masai certainly has a type there, but if, if they would have went with Jalen Suggs, I think we'd look back and be like, that was a mistake. So I, I don't think it's a one size fits all for, for any team. I think if a talent really dwarfs another talent, it does make sense. But if you keep doing it, thinking best player available, BPA, BPA, you could also get into a sticky situation. But like most other things, it, the context of the situation has to be taken into account. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. Now, have you noticed in your in your years of going through the uh, scouting process, are there any skills that you just feel are overvalued or, or like overrated? I guess I mainly mean it in the, in the sense that if like if a player doesn't have this skill right away, somehow he can compensate for it, or maybe you can afford to be a little bit more patient. Any skills like that you feel like are just too overrated? Athleticism. Interesting. Yeah, I think like a lot of times we could be like, oh, killer athlete. And we got to like have them push super far up on our board. But I think the NBA is really shifted to a skill feel league, like and size specifically. So, uh, I mean, you know, you might have a guy who's really athletic and is a shorter guard. And back in the day, that would have been what every team was looking for with, you know, Steve Francis or, or like that kind of guy. And now those guys are like irrelevant, but you know, even the, some of the bigger guys, athleticism's great if the skills are there to go along with it. But I think a lot of times it's hard to develop 
a really skilled, a really f- a player with a lot of feel, basketball IQ, whatever you know, buzzword you want to use in that. I, I think that you know we tend to undervalue sometimes those skills and overvalue the athleticism aspect, and maybe that's why Obi Toppin goes ahead of Tyrese Halliburton. You know, so I, I think that um, athleticism is certainly valuable, but if a player doesn't have maybe the the feel on both sides of the ball to to make that athleticism actually useful on an NBA court. We can tend to overvalue that. And I think sometimes too, maybe players that are uber athletic probably rely on that more so than maybe mm. the fine tuning yes. skills. And it just kind of pushes it down the road in terms of actually, uh, you know, developing a, you know, translatable skill. So I think athleticism obviously cannot be taught by any means, but you're correct in the sense that it, it could be a little bit overvalued. Now, the opposite question, is there, is there a skill that you think is underrated by GMs? Uh, an underrated skill. I, I think when a prospect like just has really great feel for the game, and 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 a really great pace and maybe sometimes you you look at that player and you think maybe their baseline is or their their ceiling isn't as high because they just you know they don't like go out of their way to force certain things uh-huh. and again like you're going back to Tyrese Halliburton falling as far as he did because he was a safe pick but like he was dice and I'm guilty of that as as well by the way um uh SGA you know, uh, as a guy, oh, he doesn't have this crazy athleticism or he's not like a, a, a massive three-point shooter, but like he was just such a brilliant operator with the ball in his hands who had such good pacing and feel. Andrew Nemhard, you know, for the Pacers even, you know, like dropping as low as he did when it's like, all right, he's he's not sexy, but like, and going back, people doubted Luka Doncic. You know, like he's a guy who obviously, like to me, he was, probably the most obvious number one pick that we've had since LeBron James. And he didn't go three teams ultimately ended up passing on him. Cause it, you know, Atlanta traded um, for Trey young up, up to that point too. I just think feel is so undervalued a lot of times. And, and we look at guys who, who play the game the right way and don't force things. And, you know, we kind of have to question uh, what their ceiling is. And I think sometimes that that's just as valuable as, you know, a top tier athlete is. Now, there seems to be, let's get into some prospect talk. I, I feel like there was some debate between these two players a little bit earlier on before uh, the college basketball season started. Obviously, one of these players is not playing in college basketball, but I'm not sure how much of a debate it is anymore. But how big of a gap do you think there is between Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that is, honestly, it's. I, I still think it is a tough question. Uh, I, I think... Look, Victor is an unbelievable prospect, and and last year, I definitely had questions because I I watched him and I was like, there are some big red flags. Like he is everything they say, but there are some actual red flags. Like he's a theoretical shooter. He's not a good shooter. It just looks like he could hit shots, and he hits some tough shots. He's he. I think his feel for the game wasn't great, and you know, like, but then he came out and he with those uh, ignite games in Vegas or in Henderson. And, and he it was like, all right, this kid took a leap. Um, but scoot as a 17 year old playing against pros last year was like <laughs> really excellent. And he's taken a leap this year as well. 
uh, Scoot in any other year is like one of the safest number one picks you can you could possibly have because not only is he a, a freak athlete, but he is really a brilliant basketball player and actually has that feel that we talk about. Like he dissects a defense with his passing, but he also can do the improvisational stuff using his athleticism to you know get to where he wants. Um, I do think there's a gap. You know, it's never a question for me. I'm taking Victor first. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I I think you can't that size, the the, the raw skills and the, the ability to defend and have an impact on that end is is the separator. But uh, covering the draft for so long, I mean, there are scenarios at the same time where we look back and we go, maybe it shouldn't have been as clear cut. Greg Oden was the clear cut number one pick around that time as far as what is, you know, the the dialogue on sports radio or ESPN, like he was the next Shaq. But look, sometimes you deal with injuries because of your body. And Kevin Durant was, I guess, undervalued as this where the game was headed. And now we look back and it's like, well, that was insane. Kevin Durant's one of the 10 best players of all time. So hindsight helps us here. Um, and I do think as a prospect, there is a gap with Victor. He's probably, you know, the maybe the best prospect since LeBron, arguably. Uh, I think you could put Luka in that conversation too, to be honest, but I think the there it's closer between those two guys than maybe it is between the second and third guys. Huh? Yeah, I was going to ask you that question too. So it's good thoughts there. It's funny that that Greg Oden draft. I, I'm a Florida fan, so I was mm. a big Al Horford fan coming out. <laughs> I thought, you know, he had the skills too to be kind of in that conversation, not necessarily over Durant. I maybe it was just bias. I had Durant, Horford, and then Oden. Okay. Uh, maybe I just predicted that uh, the injury was going to be an issue with Odin. Cause yeah, I think he played with an injury pretty much all that season. He was, he was his, I think he had a hand injury. He was like, he's only using his left hand. Like, yeah, yeah. he was always banged up. Yeah. In terms of uh, Victor, where do you see him position wise? Because, you know, we're, you're on a Hornets podcast and Mark mm-hmm. Williams is starting to get more play time and he's definitely surprising people. And, you know, if Victor is more of a five, you do wonder how that comes into play with Mark Williams and, and stuff like that. But do you first off, could you see him playing next to Mark Williams? And then overall, like, where do you see his long term positional fit? I can see him playing next to Mark Williams because I and, and I love Mark Williams. He was a guy we were very high at high on at no ceilings. I saw him uh, a bunch of times live last year. Uh, I think ultimately, if you're taking Victor you don't even consider him. Right. That's the type of prospect that Victor is, that he's the best player available prospect where you don't even consider who you have. However, I do think that they can play together, especially early on, because I do think there is a lot of like, you could use him similarly to how, you know, Evan Mobley is used in Cleveland with Jared Allen. And, and both of those guys are huge because Victor is so fluid and he is, you know, able to move his feet out on the perimeter. I also think Mark Williams is a pretty good job of, of being able to move out on the perimeter. So there is some switchability there as far as both guys can kind of switch between the front court positions defensively and offensively. It's an easy fit because Victor is way more perimeter based than Mark Williams is. So I, there's no concern uh, as far as the offense goes defensively too. There's just so much length and defensive ability that, those two guys would make it work. But ultimately, 
it doesn't really matter who who is there because you know if Victor is closing games at the five and Mark Williams has to go to the bench, well that means that you know Victor is phenomenal and yeah. you know a, from a Hornets perspective that's fine. <laughs> I clearly know it's not going to make a difference, but I was just wondering in terms of uh, fit on the court how they could play together. And uh, you mentioned something about like Mark Williams being a little bit more fluid and versatile on the defensive end. That's something that I've noticed on the podcast and been talking about that recently. And I didn't do any scouting of him. Was that something that he showed at Duke where he could switch on to a a smaller guy and kind of defend him late in the shot clock on certain situations? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like that's the reason I, you know, we had him probably around where he, he ultimately went in the draft. Um, uh, He was a very easy evaluation for me personally, just because you know what you're getting when you watch him play. Like you don't need him to shoot threes. You know that he's going to be able to finish in the dunker spot and run to the rim and catch lobs. And then uh, defensively, that was the appeal of him. You know, when we're scouting big men um, pre-NBA, one of the things that you have to look at is like how scheme versatile is this player? You know, like that, that is uh, maybe why you would have a concern with a guy like Zach Eady, who is like dominating college basketball right now for Purdue as one of the best college basketball players, but isn't a first round projected pick on anybody's board or mock draft because ultimately is Zach Eady going to be able to guard out on the perimeter when he switched on to Steph Curry or LaMelo ball or, you know, whoever, you know, uh, when teams are, are smart and they're targeting him, Mark Williams showed the ability to move laterally. He could play in a drop. He could meet you at the level and hard hedge and blitz. Um, and because he was so long, like he, he was able to give guards a little bit of cushion and still get a clean contest. So that was definitely something we considered. Obviously, the shot blocking, the rim protection is great. But, uh, you know, look, that Duke team last year was not full of uh, a bunch of very good defenders out on the perimeter. And um, Mark Williams cleaned up a lot of their, their mess and, and handled himself uh, when he needed to. So that, that was a, a reason that we, we did have him in that, you know, top maybe 10 to to 17 range for for as long as we did kind of going off script here because uh a lot of hornets fans are not we're not happy with the way that they dealt with the 2022 draft where they had the 13th pick and the 15th pick and uh there was some excitement when they drafted jalen duran at number 13 but moments later he was traded what what are your thoughts on how the hornets handled that where they just tra- they basically just traded away a first round pick for a future second or two and they ended up with mark williams did you have a preference with him or duran and and um you know do, do you think they probably should just kept both of them correct <laughs> yeah i i mean i really like jalen duran uh he was a a very but he was um a pretty divisive prospect to yeah. be honest yeah i i always like i actually you know basically like wrote an article for no ceilings when people were kind of hopping off of the bandwagon because he started uh, a little bit slow uh, on a weird Memphis team uh, with Amani Bates playing point guard, which was a disaster. And um, I was kind of like, no, let's hold our stock here. Like this kid is, has something I favored him for a couple of reasons. Uh, he was uh, a reclass. So he was playing up a year, you know, he, he, sh- this should really be his freshman season uh, Two, obviously you look at him. You're like, all right, this kid, this dude is like 27 years old uh, right now. He's he's a grown man, but he was 18. He was so young. I thought he was a little bit better of a 
passer and playmaker than a guy like Mark Williams is. You know, he showed some stuff that made you go, oh, maybe there's like a little like bam out of bio potentially down the line as far as like a, a short role playmaking hub. Um, and then I think he showed a little bit more as a shooter that a guy like Mark Williams had an opportunity to do. Now he, he certainly isn't like, didn't show any three point shooting. Um, it, but it was, there was some like 17 foot stuff he was allowed to do. And maybe that was just cause he had more freedom in his role on his team than Mark Williams did because Mark Williams had some moments very few and far between where you'd hit like a Dirk one-legged fadeaway thing. And you're like, Oh wow. Is <laughs> he's got that in his bag. That's crazy. But, uh, I, I just think maybe because, uh, of the, the passing and possibly shooting potential and then the age, I think that's why teams were a little bit higher, um, on Duran than, than Mark Williams. But at the same time, uh, they're kind of a wonky fit together. So, you know, I, I think it'll remain yeah. to be seen, um, you know, as far as that decision making. Um, before we move off of uh, Scoot Henderson here, I, I want you to give me like the paragraph pitch about why this guy is the number two pick and maybe also speak to his ability to play off ball as well. So Scoot Henderson is 6'3". He is an absolute freak of nature um, as far as physique and athleticism. And he's been playing professionally since he was 17 years old in the G League. And his second game was like, I think he already had a dominant, like a 28 point, you know, like whatever five plus assist game and just looked comfortable. And that was having come in off of an injury in the middle of the season. Um, the fact that this kid is already playing NBA basketball, he's playing with an NBA three point line. He's playing with NBA pace. He's playing against NBA talent. Uh, he's playing in one of the best leagues in the world and has absolutely lived up to every bit of the hype in doing that. And he was able to last year where he came in, you know, last year he was playing as more of a role player. Because you had Jaden Hardy, you had Dyson Daniels, you had Marjan Bochamp, you had these guys who were draft eligible in that year. And he was okay and able to fit in and play off of those guys and serve as a, a guy who maybe would cut from the corner, um, fill the wings out in transition. And this year he's he's taken, this is unequivocally my team, I'm on the ball. Um, but at the same time, he's he's playing with other draft eligible guys like City Sissoko, uh, who who need the ball in their hands a little bit. Uh, John Jenkins, who's a you know a guy who played had a cup of coffee in the NBA. There there are guys there. Pujetter, um, as the veteran, he's shown he can play on or off the ball. But on the ball, he uh, you know he just presents a ton of just mismatched nightmares um, for your team because he is so quick, he is so strong, and you know, he's, he's just a guy who I, I dare say might, you know, there's some Derek Rose type type stuff to him. All right. We don't have to go like a deep dive here, but there are three guys that I wanted to get to before we wrap up here. And these are guys that we have not talked about on the podcast. Uh, my other co-host did talk about Victor and, and Scoot at one point earlier in the season. Uh, but there seems to be some interest with some of these guys that we're about to bring up. And, and actually, Corey, I actually watched a video of yours uh, where you were actually pretty high on this guy before the mm. season even started, and he seems to be gaining some traction now. So give give me the lowdown on the uh, 6'4 guard out of Baylor, Keontae George. Yeah, I love, I love Keontae George. Um, he is 
you know, I just wrote a piece for No Ceilings uh, earlier this month where I I broke down his game and and kind of mirrored his game to guards like Anthony Simons and Jamal Murray, um, Bradley Beal. I, I think that he is kind of built for the modern NBA. He is uh, putting up some crazy kind of behind the scenes and, and advanced stats as far as what he's doing as a shooter. Because if you look at his percentages, you might be like, ah, eh, like, you know, not that efficient. Like he's a three point shooter, but he's not like 40 percent. The amount of shots he is getting up at the difficulty uh, of shots he's getting up in these games is is almost unprecedented. It's it's basically you know like Trey Young type volume. Uh, he's able to create shots on the ball or off of it. His and, and when he's off of it, it's not just like he's standing around spacing the floor. He is running off screens, and you know he's doing, uh, you know the Jamal Murray in Denver waiting for the the Jokic playmaking stuff. He's he's JJ Redick. He's uh, you know he's doing some of that kind of stuff. So the shot versatility that he has as well is is big time. Uh, and then one of the surprising aspects of his game that, that people didn't really see coming because he didn't show it a ton when he was in high school at IMG Academy is he's really shown some pretty intriguing playmaking flashes with the ball in his hands. And he's fitting uh, the ball through tight windows and passing guys open. Now he's, he's absolutely a shoot first guy. Um, that's his role. He's a scorer, but he's been uh, a really, really good playmaker. And, and going back to the Trey Young, there was at one point of the season where his assist percentage and three point attempts per 100 possession, uh, the only guy since 2008 who had matched his numbers was Trey Young. Uh, and then again, on you know, you want a two way guard if you're taking a guy high up in the, the lottery. I, I think he's a really good defender. Um, his, his understanding off the ball. He is very nuanced. Uh, Baylor, you know, they, they try to shadow guys to, you know, ice guys to the sidelines and he understands team concept. He understands when to rotate as the low man. He has great form closing out on the weak side. You know, he has moments as every 18, 19 year old kid does where he, maybe he gets a little lazy and whatnot, but uh, he he's great on the ball. He's strong. Um, he's, he's not contact averse on, on either side of the ball. I think for me, you know, the NBA game is going to open up things for him uh, so much that maybe you don't even get to see it Baylor uh, outside of just kind of spurts, but he he's made for the NBA. Yeah. I've always questioned, not questioned, but just wondered about his size being six, four and, and probably primarily being an off ball, but you, you spoke to his, some of his playmaking ability as well. And, you know, aside from BPA, again, we talk about the BPA and fit and again, you don't really care when you're this high up in the draft, but I, I do wonder defensively, you, you kind of made a mention of that. Do you think he's a good point of attack defender? Because right now LaMelo feels like a guy yeah. that is probably better suited off ball. I, I do think he's a good point of attack defender. He he's had some really, really brilliant moments. Um, he gets over screens cause he's strong and he's slithery. Do I think like he is the guy that alleviates LaMelo from having to defend, <laughs> you know, like I don't think he's the solution necessarily, but um, you know, he's almost from a Hornets perspective. It's like what theoretically you want James book Knight to be, um, offensively and, you know, defensively he's, he's shown more than book Knight ever did when, when he was in college. But, uh, like, I, I think Charlotte's one of the more intriguing teams for him because I think the offensive fit is like, you couldn't get more perfect for him because he can, he could still have opportunities to score on the ball, but LaMelo is such a, 
a, a fantastic and brilliant playmaker that he opens up so much of his all off ball stuff defensively though. You know, I think that's where you love having Mark Williams around because he's going to allow some of these guys who Keontae's always going to put in effort on that end. Um, but you know, at the same time, whether it's LaMelo, whether it's Keontae, whether it's somebody else, when you get into a playoff setting, right? Like you're going to try to, uh, target whoever you think the weakest defender is but in a regular season I, I think it'll be fine and I think Mark Williams and his growth and development is going to kind of alleviate a lot of that yeah th- this guy out of the three guys that we're going to speak about I feel like he's going to be someone that I fall in love with and um, you spoke to maybe him also being aggressive and getting downhill and attacking the basket and again like a guy that is undersized by the numbers he doesn't play that way when you look yeah. at him on the, on the film so Another player that seems to be kind of picking up steam here is a six nine small forward out of Alabama, Brandon Miller. What are you What are you getting if you draft this guy? Yeah, I I love Brandon Miller. This is actually you know a pat myself on the back um, prospect because he was rated in like that fifteen to twenty range coming into the year, and and I did a preseason podcast, and I was like, I I don't know what everybody's missing with this guy. He's a top five prospect. Like this is crazy. Um, you're gonna tell me that you found him when he was 12 years old no 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 yeah i mean look this is he's a mcdonald's all-american he's going to alabama it's not like i'm you know <laughs> it's breaking news here on brandon miller but i was just like when it comes to judging him as an nba player i think people are missing something here because he's six nine um people didn't realize he could shoot it like this i will say that and i didn't expect him to be firing from three at this level because in high school he was much more uh, of a mid-range operator and that's kind of when I look at guys who are really good in the mid range and smooth, like he looks like Paul George in high school in the, when he was operating in the mid range. And when I see guys like that, I'm like, they're going to be able to stretch it out to three. Like this is effortless. Um, and he's in his role in college. Like he is shooting threes at a 40 plus percent clip at crazy volume at six, nine, and he's got some ball handling skills. So if you're pairing him with a guy like LaMelo, he's uh, going to be able to be a secondary creator, um, and a guy who, if LaMelo's on the bench, can kind of operate the offense a little bit. Because one of the things he hasn't really gotten to show, and this goes back to our conversation about like watching the college game versus the NBA game, he's really good as like a pick-and-roll opera, opera. Like He's a really good passer. He's got good feel. He could see over the defense. And these are guys that we see have success early on, like Franz Wagner, Apollo, uh, and just you know all these big guys who are 6'8", 6'9", and can play with the ball in their hands. Brandon Miller... Um, he's very safe because he's a great shooter. He's got good size and he's smart. He's got good feel. He was not finishing at the rim. Well, early on, um, but he has alleviated that in conference play, which is the important thing. And now he's like showing that he, he can adapt and adjust. So he's going to have to get stronger and work on his body at the league, but all of the tools are there for him to do it. How would, how would he compare to Malachi Branham of last year? I mean, is there similarities or not necessarily? Maybe offensively, but Branham is like six four, yeah, six, five maybe. Uh, and Brandon Miller is six nine, maybe even he might right. measure taller than that. So I think right away, uh, if you're getting what Branham could do offensively out of a guy who's like five, six inches taller, like that's obviously a home run. But on the other end, like Branham was my least favorite defensive prospect in the draft last year. Like he was like just atrocious at Ohio State. Like it like the worst you got like i watching it i was like i i need to shut this off and take a break <laughs> type of thing um 
and San Antonio for for Branham, great spot for him to learn how to not do that with with Pop coaching him. But uh, Miller is a good defender. You know, he might not be a lockdown, clamp you up defender, but he has great movement skills. He's long. In high school, he actually played a lot of five because he was you know six nine, six ten. So he has like good weak side shot blocking skills. Um, but just a a, a big time modern day wing. I know we're up against the clock here, so let's touch briefly on Cam Whitmore out of Nova. This guy seems like a well-rounded prospect with not necessarily like a ton of weaknesses, but is there like a standout skill that's going to pop on the next level for him? <laughs> His athleticism, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I do, I love Cam. I'm actually going to, um, you know, I'll be covering the Big East tournament um, in a couple of weeks at the Garden, and he's one of the guys I'm really excited to get uh, up close in person eyes on, um, cam is, I think in a really weird situation on a Villanova team that is, uh, just doesn't suit his strengths as far as spacing. And, you know, it goes back to the college game and what kind of defenses and the, you know, how teams operate. I think he's going to look way better in the league from that perspective. The jumper, I'm a little iffy on, I think he's got some functional stuff, but it's not completely broken and he's shooting it at an okay clip. Uh, the defensive stuff has looked better recently. Uh, recently for him than it did early in the year, but he was coming back from an injury and jumping right into play. I don't know if you guys say the M word anymore on this, this podcast, but he reminds me of a guy that used to play for the Charlotte Hornets as a prospect. Are you talking about, are you talking about MKG? I'm talking about, uh, miles bridges. Oh, oh, Miles Bridges. Sorry. That, that M word. Okay. <laughs> that I thought we were going way back. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting situation uh, in and of itself. So, um, so he has that athleticism is what you're saying. Yeah. He's a big time power athlete, but he's also got like finesse stuff. He's very smooth. Um, good motor, you know, definitely like with NBA spacing and his ability to get downhill and be a power athlete, like, he's going to be really fun. And you've already seen that kind of player work alongside LaMelo. So I, I do think that Charlotte is like one of the best outcomes for miles bridges. Cause I think he's the kind of guy that if he goes to uh well, he's the best player available, but there are other guys in his way. It could get really clunky. Um, but I, I think Charlotte in particular is like a pretty good landing spot for him just because he does have some creation ability off the bounce. Um, he, he is going to be able to shoot it off the catch a little bit, but his bread and butter is going to be like playing fast, getting out in transition, attacking downhill and finishing through guys and over guys at the rim. All right, before we get you out of here of George Miller and Whitmore, I'd, I'd like for you, you know, late February to rank these guys on your like big board. Um, so I have, uh, Keontae George and Brandon Miller back to back on my personal big board. I have Keontae at four and Brandon Miller at five. Um, so I would keep that. And then Cam Whitmore third. Gotcha. And who's number three on your big board? Like your overall big board, uh, Jarris Walker from the Houston Cougars. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite, Uh, even though he's third, he's my favorite player in the draft. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to bring you back on later and and talk about him as we get closer to the draft. But we wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. You definitely shed a lot of a lot of light on some of these prospects. I don't know a ton about these guys. And I typically I tell my co-host, I typically don't start scouting until like May. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's just not my thing. But uh, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah. um, You know, no ceilings, NBA.com. You could subscribe there. It's free. You'll get all your uh, all of our content delivered Monday 
through Friday directly to your inbox at, at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, we do a five-day-a-week podcast, which is the No Ceilings NBA Draft podcast. And you can hit our uh, YouTube channel, uh, which is No Ceilings NBA, which we have all of the podcasts uploaded in video form. We have breakdowns. We have highlights. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Corey Tulliba. Um, I'm posting stuff there all the time. Breakdowns, clips, my thoughts, all the good stuff. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I, I found you on YouTube, and uh, that's probably where you kind of started off yeah. you know, kind of gaining that traction yeah. and stuff like that. The NBA so. Draft Dude on YouTube for me, yeah. my personal channel. Yep. yep. <laughs> so uh, this episode will have a video component, uh, but that's going to be for our BuzzBeat Plus subscribers. So please visit buzzbeat.substack.com for more information on that. We will certainly post some uh, clips on our YouTube channel, but the full version will be available only to our subscribers on Substack. I am Richie. That's Corey. Hope you guys have a good one. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.